Super Talk Mississippi media production. Kickstart your adventure now with a new Gud Golf Cart from Country Carts of Brookhaven. Gud Golf Carts are assembled right here in Mississippi with the best features around. And best of all, they're street legal. Country Carts of Brookhaven, 401 Highway 51 South, phone 601-748-0454. What's up on a Sunday night? I am Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Colin Brister. Psych! It is a new day and age of the Rebel Report podcast, and that is, of course, the big news and why we're recording on a Sunday night. Michael Borky is the new co-host of the Rebel Report, maybe soon to be named podcast. What's up? That is definitely the news we're here to discuss. You, uh, you really got me there with the psych. <laughs> I bet. I bet I got everybody. It was a good one. Everyone uh, that listens to this knows I'm the funniest human alive. So got him again. But no, we uh, we're here on a Sunday evening because Ole Miss has fired head coach Matt Luke in what started as a groundswell probably early early on this weekend. I'd say on Saturday and really kind of gained momentum uh, throughout the day on Sunday. And really, once it really started gaining momentum, I would say it happened really fast. And then, of course, news broke first reported by Neil McCready of RebelGrove.com about what I guess at this point about two hours ago. Um, that Matt Luke is out as Ole Miss head coach. He finishes with a 15-21 and 21 record, 6-18 and 18 in SEC play. Uh, I got to say, I am pretty surprised. Yeah, surprised for a couple of reasons, right? I, I mean, because I think this is the right move. And so, at least from my perspective, I'm surprised that Ole Miss made a move that made sense, <laughs> considering – yeah, how things have gone recently, but also they really didn't want to do this. I mean, the reporting uh, from you and, and a few other guys on the beat that the athletic director search was centered around not making a change at head football coach. I mean, th- that was a, a real line of thinking and reporting out there that I still believe to this day. What changed was the pressure that came after the Egg Bowl loss. I don't think anybody in that athletic department at the Lyceum expected, I don't know if you want to call it backlash, but expected the outrage that came after the Egg Bowl loss and the way they lost that football game. It it completely changed what they wanted the future of their football program to be like. Because once certain people, and I talked to a few money people over the weekend, if you want to call them that, people that are, involved in giving finances to athletics, and both of them were out. And once you lose people like these two guys that I talked to, you have a hard time getting them back. And there was just seemingly enough pressure that came after the Egg Bowl loss to force their hand. Because, and I'm sure you'll agree with this, they didn't want to do this. But they had to do this based on the pressure and the emails and the phone calls and stuff that they received from the right people over the last few days, they didn't have a choice. Yeah, I totally agree. And to add on on top of that, I I think even after that happened, I don't think people inside the Manning Center and people in that building thought that this was really even, I mean, I guess if you're in this industry, you know anything's always possible, but I don't think they saw this as a realistic possibility. I am led to believe I don't think that they I don't think people around Luke I don't think people on that staff I, I don't think they really even had uh, really much of a clue at all uh, that that's, this was even really a possibility I would say as early as 
I don't know, this morning, last night? I mean, Do I don't know. you think they woke up this break. morning expecting to keep Matt Luke? Who's they? Glenn Boyce, Keith Carter, decision makers at Old Miss. No, I think at that point, well, I think at that point that they, they, there was kind of momentum generating that it was possible. But if, 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 if you're talking about what they maybe thought by the end of the day, maybe. But I'd have to think if a decision like this is made you know, on a Sunday night, they had to have gone into this day knowing that there was certainly a possibility and that they could probably sense that you know this was kind of heading towards something. Um, but I've just meant as far as you talk about it being a surprise and them not wanting to do it, but them having to do it. I don't think people like as far as the football staff, I don't think they, they were really, this was anything on their radar or something to be worried about as of this morning. If you ask me that with regards to them, I would say, I would think they were kind of going about things pretty much business as usual. Um, and then of course, throughout the day, the kind of smoke got thicker and thicker and thicker. And then it happened and it's, a. Uh, um, it's definitely a surprising move because nothing you mentioned the athletic director search and really every, every way they had behaved kind of leading up to it. The plan was always for Luke to have a 2020. I mean, you could talk about the financial regions and it being what almost 17 million is. De- I mean, North is somewhere between 16 and 17 million to buy out the whole staff. It's definitely North of 16 and you know, them struggling to find that money. And then of course, kind of the groundswell of that money coming together, but like kind of the important distinction here is there's difference between people saying they're going to they will give the money and that money actually being in your possession, which I think is probably you're know, talking about like the discrepancy of is this real? Is this actually going to happen? Is it not going to happen? I think it became more and more clear that uh, it became, well, the money is being pledged to, oh, they actually have this money and this is going to happen throughout the day. I think that's what kind of muddied the waters here. And throughout the day, that kind of crystallized itself, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and to tell you the truth, I never really fully believed that the money wasn't there. My line of thinking was always they could get it if they wanted to do it. And it turns out that was entirely accurate, that they found a way. It's also going to be offset some. Uh, first of all, you don't have to pay. You don't have to write a $17 million check today. But also, when multiple members of this staff are good enough if they don't get retained by the new head coach, uh, which in all likelihood they will not, uh, they're good enough to get other jobs elsewhere. So their next salary will offset some of their buyout costs. So it, it that is the number, but that number will change, and they don't have to pay it right away. And if you make the correct hire, if you make the right hire, whatever losses you had between 17 and 18 and 18 and 19, you will make up for because people will jump back on board. Ole Miss didn't lose fans, and attendance is going to be down everywhere, but Ole Miss lost attendance because people were dissatisfied with the trajectory of the football program. They were dissatisfied with, I mean, they, they've been dissatisfied for two years because the hire that we're talking about that was just terminated should have never happened to begin with. So people were out from day one. You make the right hire, everybody's back in. And financial problems will not be so anymore very quickly. Yeah, and I think on top of all that, obviously complicated and layered issue, but it's not just that they were dissatisfied with the trajectory. I think they were dissatisfied who was leading the program on that trajectory. Because like if you're four and eight or five and seven with Dave Doran, I think it's much a much different story. But to your point, the hire should never have happened in the first place. So obviously when you hire someone that's viewed as unqualified, 
they're not going to get the benefit of the doubt. They're not going to get the benefit of patience and they're not going to get, well, I guess I already said it, the benefit of just kind of being patient and kind of sticking with it, the benefit of getting another year, which is essentially what happened here. Um, but again, at the same time, like all signs pointed to this being a 2020 being put up or shut up. I mean, I wrote on Thursday night after the game ended at the end of that story um, that, you know, 2020 should be the dubbed the year of results because this is kind of put up or shut up time. And, you know, you could make an argument one way or another should Luke have gotten to be able to, I guess, see this young foundation through and the offensive talent because he does uh, it like hate indifferent on Matt Luke if you're an Ole Miss fan listening to this he does deserve credit for replenishing the roster and recruiting at a pretty high level amid some really really just kind of shitty circumstances particularly in the 2017 to 2018 uh, seasons and that 2017 class is brutal that's really what hamstrung this team more so than anything this year and was a large reason why the you know the amount of touchdowns they scored or amount of yards they gained and stuff like that were accounted for by freshmen because they don't have very many contributors on the 17 class. And it's possible because they got back to the f- full allotment of 85 scholarships this year. So, you know, more scholarships to give out, more freshmen, you can do the math. He deserves that. And there's an argument to be made, you know, whether he get, you know, deserved to see that out. But it also comes down to the Egg Bowl. And it's not necessarily, it, it is the way they lost that game, but it's not really the way they lost that game. Like, it's not because Luke Logan missed an extra point. Like you can't tell me the Elijah Moore thing didn't play into this and it kind of being not low-hanging fruit, but an easy thing to point to towards, hey, like this, he doesn't really have a good grasp or good control of the program because Ole Miss on Friday morning was a national punchline. It was an international and, punchline. Yeah, I mean, you had the Russian broadcast and all that, which was fantastic. Well, it was on the Daily the Mail in, in the UK. Yeah, just laughing, kind of, I mean, those Russian guys, obviously, were just kind of laughing their ass off at the whole situation. And to that point, if they lose that game 21-20 and say the kid just shakes a normal extra point, or what are we talking about today? Like Maybe it's the same, but that certainly didn't help because they lost it in a way that put another black eye on the program. And you know, Ole Miss was national news again for all the wrong reasons. And so I think that certainly played into it. You know, Whether it was like, I don't think that tipped the scales. I don't think the Elijah Moore thing tipped the scales, but I definitely don't think it worked in his favor. Especially... And again, I, I'm with you. I, I think that's a fair assessment. But it wasn't even just that he did that. It was after he did that, he was allowed to go to the sidelines and parade around with a wrestling belt. Yeah, so I guess that's something that was shown on television. Because again, where I was standing, one, I couldn't see what he got flagged for. And then two, when he ran to the sidelines, and I was adjacent in between the old Miss sideline and their bench. I could, I lost him after that, too. So what exactly happened after that? Well, they just they did what they usually do. They handed him the nasty wideout belt, and he threw it over his shoulder, and he was on the sidelines, and people were, you know, giving him encouragement and stuff. Like, it, like nothing had happened. And look... I ranted about this on the Sunday show because what you saw from a few national people, the reaction to that, not that that play was impossibly stupid, it cost his team the game, what an idiot, but the this is a poor reflection on Mississippi and Pete Thamel called it, um, oh God, what did he call it? A fatal act of selfishness that is unparalleled as if like nothing else has happened in sports that are worse than a fake dog pee celebration. Anyway, I mean... Yeah, like, he didn't stab Julius Caesar, man. Let's use, let's take it easy on the word yeah. fatal. Like, he pretended to take a piss. Like, well, I mean, and, then, 
and then unparalleled. I mean, I mean, there's an NBA player right now that just got suspended for gambling. Pete Rose is not in the Hall of Fame for it. You had eight baseball players throw a World Series. Let's start talking about Penn State or Vanderbilt. Like, those are un- unparalleled acts of selfishness that destroyed a program, not a dumb celebration that lost a football game for a 4-7 and seven team. Anyway, the, the point is, I'm sure that celebration had something to do with it, but I think it's a larger component than that. Yeah, no, I agree. I just don't think that was anything to help because the lasting image was one they lose in kind of embarrassing fashion, and two, it's just it's it's something easy to point to that he doesn't have a grip on the program. So he finishes his tenure six and eighteen in SEC play, and really it was kind of defined this year by missed opportunities. They were in pretty much. I mean, they were in every single game they played. They were in ten of the twelve. Really, I mean, really. If yeah. you kind of want to count it, 11 of the 12, they were kind of in LSU, but you never really thought for any moment, hey, they might actually have a puncher's chance at winning this thing. The only one game they were really blown out from start to finish was Alabama, even though I think technically they're ending winning at the end of the first quarter. But you get my point. But they couldn't finish it off. And I think in some ways, I imagine when they met coming to this decision, aside from, you know, the obvious push from people with money and people that have power at this school wanting to make a change. And, you know, it played in their minds, too, but I imagine Keith Carter had to look at it some to some degree and say, you know, at, at some point, does a good coach kind of finish a couple of these games off? Because if Ole Miss wins Memphis or Cal or say both or just you take Memphis, Cal and A&M, and if he wins one of the three or two of the three, you're probably not talking about this today. Yeah. But isn't I mean, therein lies the issue. And Ole Miss's release today said. You know, they were satisfied with the forward momentum in some aspects, but didn't put wins on the board. And I mean, ultimately, it's a scoreboard business. Right. And that's why I think it was it was the right move. I I said on Twitter, for whatever it's worth, that um, Matt Luke deserves credit. And he really does, because after Hugh Freeze resigned in total shame, that program could have and and probably should have uh, completely cratered. And it didn't. You know, they were competitive, they were in some games, they recruited okay. It could have cratered, it didn't. But even though they were in football games this year, it's the same problem for three seasons, even his interim year. Because if you look at 2018, they were in some games as well, and they had NFL talent all over the field. They had an offensive line with a couple of NFL guys on it, an experienced quarterback, a wide receiver group, and a tight end that they never used that is currently tearing it up as rookies in the NFL. They were still the, what, second to last red zone offense in all of college football, one of the worst, and they were in football games and could not seal the deal. You get to bring in your own coordinators, even though you kept those after your interim year, and you still have the same problems. You're in football games, and there's still something that keeps you out of them. At Missouri, it was a couple of or not unsportsmanlike, uh, personal foul penalties, uh, late hit targeting that kept them out of that game. You had the fake pee that lost you the Egg Bowl. You had weird decision-making at the quarterback position that kept you out of Texas A&M. You had an Auburn game where you were impossibly predictable on offense. So even though they were in these games, at some point you have to win a game of consequence. And if you look at 2018 and 2019 – They did not beat a single FBS team with a winning record. Their 
The team with the best record that they've beaten in the last two years is Louisiana Monroe. Their only SEC wins came against two 2-10 two Arkansas teams and a 3-9 and nine Vanderbilt team. You have to win football games. And on top of all that, as you mentioned at the top of this, the financial component. That, that's really what sealed this deal. I mean, it was whatever happened at the Egg Bowl and the reaction they got from certain people that put the pressure on to make this move. You had the lowest attended season in 18 years, and that was only going to get worse. At some point, even if you love the guy, even if your players love the guy and you know there's reporting about what's going on at this team meeting and now players are upset, and I understand why they're upset, because they love their football coach. But you cannot exist as a big-time college athletics program, losing money in football. And they were on that path. because the, And it, it starts with the hire that should have never happened in the first place, and then they could not close games that they were in, and then that happened in the Egg Bowl. Finances dictated this decision, I think, more than anything else, and it was the right move at the right time because the crater that was going to be created in 2020 – after they lose a few games early in the season because of the schedule, was one that would have been really, really hard to get pulled out of. They had to pull the plug right now because money people were out, regular fans were out, sidewalk alumni, as people call them, were out. Everybody was out, and it was only going to get worse. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And as far as the meeting, I could report that it was cold as hell out there. Uh, I stopped by there on my way here uh, to the studio to kind of just get a gauge. Uh, of course, I left to come record this podcast, and Nick Suss, my colleague at the Country Legend Reports, guys uh, walking out. Uh, he said at least 10. I was texted that it was almost, I don't want to say, well, it's in a, it's in a, it rounded at just under half. I don't know that to be completely true, but uh, that's that was what I was texted with regards to guys walking out of the program. Naturally, they're not taking it well, but can you imagine, like, I, I mean, there really isn't a way where, you know, these players are going to take their coach, who by all accounts is a very good players coach and players love to come play for. Uh, there's no really world where they're taking that well. But yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you said there. They had to they had to make the move. They were kind of forced into it for a lack of support. It's interesting in a world where they didn't really have the finances to do it, and that was the primary reason he was going to get a 2020 kind of future finances coupled with people actually poning up the money to to get it done were the reason were the primary reason he didn't uh, stay, which is kind of, not ironic, but it's kind of interesting in the sense that, like, he was going to get next year primarily because they didn't have finances, and then in the end, he ends up getting canned because they ended up finding those, and the reason they found those were basically to save their future, bottom line, because your point, season ticket sales were down, people were checked out, people were frustrated, and they were justifiably frustrated. But what's interesting to me here is he's going to, and people are not going to like this, and it's going to sound crazy, but he's going to end up, I think the history books will actually remember Matt Luke as an unsung hero because he stabilized a rudderless ship that was going down in a hurry. I mean, it was interesting. Yeah. I thought the bottoming out was going to be last year in 2018, and I like it would have made for a good talking point to, well, if this thing bottoms out in five and seven is the worst thing you deal with while you're under NCAA sanctions – then that's a pretty good job. And he deserves credit even with the four and eight mark this year for stabilizing and recruiting at that level. And he's going, his tenure here is going to be very much unappreciated because it, if you're being completely honest, like 
Dave Doran, the guy they were going to hire, would probably have close to the same record through two years. Maybe yeah. it's different. Maybe it's a game or two better. I would argue that it could potentially be a game or two worse. But I have know, a feeling he could have gone to a bowl game with A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf and Dawson Knox and Jordan Ta'amu and all of those guys. But I'm with you because even though they were injury riddled this year at NC State, I mean, just got decimated. I think there was a point in the season where they had a dozen starters out for a game, and it was when they were at Wake Forest. I mean, a dozen starters out for a football game. But uh, no, I think you're right because that would have been a kind of a wet blanket hire that wouldn't have achieved much more than what they got. But I guess my point is, is just no one was going to win 2017, 2018, 2019 here big maybe he he gets into a bowl game last year they were just so bad defensively i, I have my yeah. doubts as to whether now granted if he comes in and brings his own halfway decent defensive coordinator maybe they don't get the mcgriff treatment but point being no one was winning big in these first three years but if you have a guy that's an outsider that's perceived as a qualified head coach it would have been a different story because people are still bought in people are still kind of see the long-term vision but again matt to matt's detriment and really to no fault of his own is he was seen as unqualified from the start. Uh, people struggled to buy in from the start because it basically came down to the general attitude of 2017 is Matt Luke got the permanent head coaching job because he beat State with the backup quarterback because his players really loved him. But I think the argument to be made here is what head coaching job is SEC or what head coaching job in general is Matt Luke getting in 2017 if he's not the head coach of the Ole Miss Rebels? And the answer, of course, was none. He'd never even been a coordinator anywhere. And so he was behind the eight ball from the start. And to be completely honest, there was never a way this was going to end well. He was following one of the the winningest coaches since John Vaught. Like, there was never going to be a world where he was going to win at a level that was acceptable for him to be sustainable long term. Now, if he goes seven and five and eight and four and shocks the people for a year or two, then maybe he gets five or six years instead of three. But this was never going to end well. There was never going to be a world where this ended well for Matt Luke. And you could see it from the beginning. And that's the troubling part in it, because in a bit in an industry full of frauds, he seems like a pretty genuine guy. And he was always great to deal with from a media coverage standpoint. And it sucks because he basically got his dream job a decade too early. And what are you going to say? No to it. And then that's right. just, he took it. And of course he doesn't think like this because he believes in himself, but like there was no other way you're watching a guy taking a job that he would want, you know, would work his entire life for knowing there is no shot. It is going to end positively. There was no way he was going to win at a level to satisfy people long-term. There's just no way. I cannot disagree with that at all. I mean, it's just like, if he goes, even like to me, in some ways, this year wouldn't really matter. If he goes six and six and gets to a bowl next year, and they get slaughtered by the end of the front end of that schedule, are you really in any in any different of a boat this time next year? I'm not saying he's getting fired if he had gone to a bowl in 2019, but as a program, are you in any different stratosphere no. than you are right now? No, no, not at all. Which is why the problem here is is still the fact that it happened in the first place. That is really what set the thing back. And nobody likes to think about it this way. But, you know, I remember when the I'm old enough to remember when the NCAA penalties came out. There were people who thought Ole Miss got off light. But it's not the penalties that show up on the email release or the NCAA case or that weird website segment Ole Miss made for it that actually count. It's them ending up with Matt Luke. It's them ending up with the scholarship restrictions. You know, it's 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 the result and product on the field in 2017 and 2018 and to some degree this year 
that were really the true penalties. Because this year was the year it was going to bottom out. This is the year it was always going to be hard. And I, I, I've never, I'll never not believe that I think some of the reason, now this is not primary reason at all, I think there was some of the reason that it was in 2017 he got the job because it was a weak head coaching mark. Or it was a, a lot of jobs were open and Ole Miss was not seen as a strong job. I think that played into it too. And that has to be attributed to the NCAA stuff. That's a penalty. I, I don't like, it may not be a tangible one, but I, I think it absolutely is. And probably one of the more impactful ones. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that that's, that's fair. And, and I think uh, going back to your original point, People, I think, will look fondly on him and, and should and thank him on his way out the door. But uh, he should be praised for, one, giving maximum effort, not having his eyes on other things like his predecessor. And, I mean, doing the best he absolutely could. Program did not crater. And today, as you just mentioned, the job is attractive. You'll have some people, like Barrett Salee said something on Twitter about how it didn't make sense. Ole Miss can and are able to, right now, go out and hire a good football coach. They are much better equipped to do that today than they were in 2017. It is a much more attractive job today than it was in 2017. Part of that, of course, is because the NCAA is gone. But when you step into Ole Miss right now, you do have a pretty good nucleus of players. And I know they're all pissed off at a team meeting, but they'll be fine. You have an attractive job right now. Not the most attractive job, but there are football coaches out there right now that have won somewhere that can recruit and can come to Ole Miss and win that you can hire in this cycle. They're available and they will take your job. I think it's attractive and set up for a position to make a good hire. Maybe not Mike Norvell, maybe not Chris Kleiman, or maybe not uh, Justin Fuente, but there is a list of candidates of real coaches that have really won at other places that will take your job today and you will be off and running. But therein lies the problem, to some degree, is that this school doesn't exactly have a history of making, at least recent history, of making sound hires. I mean, you, you, they've gone down the hall for their last football head coach. They've gone down the hall for the athletic director. And that's not really fair because I think Keith Carter was immensely more qualified. The two of you listened to the show. You understand all of that. I've, I've kind of talked about it ad nauseum. But, you know, the Chancellor search, which does not really have anything to do with Ole Miss as much as it does as far as conducting the search, the IHL. Now there's politics and stuff at play as regard as why Glenn Boyce is in the position he's in. But point being, they don't exactly have a squeaky clean history of making sound hires but what's interesting about this is this is now going to be seen and fairly so as keith carter making a strong and tough decision what like 14 15 days into the permanent job and you know he's now kind of building a small track record of being able to make tough decisions you know but kind of the uh, the closest thing he could have made to a power move when he was intern was not extending mike bianco which is exactly what happened um, I think that was probably end up going to be the right move. Obviously, that's up for debate. But he's now showing he can make tough and strong decisions. The next question and part of this is, is he going to have the autonomy to conduct a search his way? Or is kind of, for the lack of a better phrase, the good old boy politics just kind of bullcrap going to cloud this thing and steer it in some direction it doesn't need to go in again? That, to me, will be the interesting part in all of this. It seems to me, at least right now, it sounds like he's. It, it might be the former instead of the latter, 
and he might actually be able to spearhead this thing and hire a, a good and qualified candidate. But that's going to be interesting because you're now ta- you're talking about Ole Miss being definitely a place that they can hire a good coach and win big, but like easier said than done when dealing with this school. Yeah, you just um, you hope Keith and do it. And I jokingly said on Twitter, just you know, get out of his way and let him hire a football coach, and preferably make sure it's not somebody currently on your payroll. I do wonder though, who like if they hire another athletic director, and he's like a guy that wasn't like people were pissed about the interim thing and just hiring down the hallway again. But I do wonder that if they hired a guy on the same day that they hired Keith Carter. Does this happen? Because I would lean no. He's 15 days at best. Because, like, Keith Carter got to start work immediately. Like, this guy still, like, if they had hired outside, you know, and gotten someone else an outsider, which I'm not necessarily saying this justifies the Keith Carter hire, whether you like it or dislike it. But I do wonder if this happens if they hire an outsider. Because he's even, even newer on the job than Keith Carter is with no real connections, no real lay of the land yet. Does this happen? I would lean no. That's a really good question. I mean, because they're probably still looking for houses and, like, moving into their office. I don't see how it's feasible. I don't see how that that a new guy from an an outsider's perspective coming in that's not familiar with Ole Miss, not familiar with the landscape, would be able to pull this off that quickly. I I don't see how it's feasible. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm dumb. Maybe the guy comes in, learns who uh, kind of talks and what money talks at this place and makes it happen. But I would lean no. If they hadn't gone in-house, I do wonder if we'd be talking about this right now. Man, if they had not gone in-house. That's a really good question. And as you mentioned, I mean, it, uh, people are upset about the interim thing, but he, I mean, isn't he three for three right now? I, I mean, more than that, because he's the reason by most accounts that Ole Miss has Kermit Davis. So there's one right there. And despite what happened in the championship at the NIT thing in Brooklyn, losing by 40 points, uh, that was a home run. And then he doesn't extend Mike Bianco's contract, which was the exact right move that people have been afraid to make for a while. And then he pushes the alcohol through thing, which is much smaller, but he got that done, which is the right thing to do. And then this. Obviously, what Keith Carter wants, Glenn Boyce is willing to to go with, right? I mean, I don't know this for sure, but it, it certainly sounds like, especially based on to a couple of people that I've talked to that would know, that Boyce was hesitant, and Keith Carter made this happen. So yeah, that, that I think is Boyce multiple being... major decisions that have been made in a short time that have all been made the exact right way and done very well. So why should we right now doubt that Keith, one, doesn't have full autonomy because if he is the one that forced this decision, he should be allowed to go find his next coach. And if he's allowed to do that, why should we doubt his ability to go get a good one? Yeah, no, exactly right. Because I, I do believe, based on kind of the way this day unfolded, that Glenn Boyster is the one whose, I guess, mindset on this thing needed to be evolving. And I would be remiss if I didn't credit uh, our esteemed colleague and co-worker Richard Cross, who was kind of on top of this from the beginning of the day, uh, been around here a long time, knows a lot of people. Uh, you know, I, I think... It, the, we had kind of come to the conclusion that that he was the one that kind of needed, uh, I don't know the right word here, but his mindset evolving is kind of what made this happen. Now, is Carter a driving force behind that? I don't know that for a fact, but I would imagine that he, there's no way he was completely not involved with 
that type of thinking changing. And so, yeah, I, I definitely agree on that front. But I just always, I've always, like, throughout Matt Luke's tenure, I went back a couple of times and kind of, uh, like, I would always find myself thinking, how is he going to be remembered in 10 years? And I know it doesn't seem like it now, but I, I actually think when you let this settle in the way, because, like, whenever history is cemented long down the road, people don't really remember the minute details. Like, they probably don't remember, you know, punting at midfield in the Egg Bowl or whatever when you're four and seven or playing conservative and all that. I actually think he'll remember, be remembered very fondly at the end of it. I think he'll be remembered as a guy who inherited a tough situation, did the best he could, and was kind of a place-holding bridge when the program really could have just kind of fallen into a crater. Yeah. To me, so what now, else are we missing here with this move? I mean, I think that's really kind of is what it is. Um, Do you think it was the right decision now that it's been made? Yeah, I do. I mean, it, it financially was the only thing holding it up. Look, like this was this band aid was going to have to be ripped off at some point. Like th this thing was not curing the wound, so why not do it now as opposed to down the road? I do, but I did understand giving him a twenty twenty for a multitude of reasons. Primarily the financial thing. If they didn't have the money and they wanted him to see twenty twenty through, I understood that line of thinking as well. Um, really, because your kind of hands are tied there. But I, I do because this had to be done eventually. Because I mentioned, as I kind of mentioned a while back, like there was really no other way this thing was ending. Um, now, as far as where they're going to go with this, I, I, it seems to be that Mike Norvell will be kind of at the center of this. I think Drinkowitz at Appalachian State will be a strong candidate. And I also believe that Billy Napier at Louisiana Tech, or excuse me, Louisiana Lafayette, now they like to be called a Louisiana, whatever. Yeah, um, be hey careful with that now. Yeah, Hey Dad's favorite school will get a, uh, <laughs> get a, get a long look at, at, at this. And I, I think they're going to, at least in, for starters, try to kind of center their focus on Norvell, which is interesting to me because it, at this point, and we talked about the background stuff on the radio and all that, that aside, I think he's at a place to where, let's just say he's hireable. Background stuff aside, I think he's able to attract more big fish now that I think Ole Miss is going to need someone or multiple people to whiff for that to be a realistic possibility. Nor yeah, and it, it sounds like with Norvell. Right, and it sounds like Florida State uh, apparently is really high on him, and if he is going to be picky, uh, then it will not be Ole Miss, and that's okay. I'm intrigued by Billy Napier. For a lot of reasons. Uh, one, and not just because I actually watched him play in college, but, I mean, he's a guy that played for Bobby Johnson. He coached with Dabo, under Dabo Sweeney and, um, oh gosh, what's his name? The guy that was at Clemson before Dabo Sweeney. Tommy Bowden. So he played for Bobby Johnson. He coached under Tommy Bowden and Dabo Sweeney and Nick Saban. And Jim McElwain, who's going to a conference championship, by the way. I know Florida was weird, but still. And uh, Todd Graham. And now he's at ULL, and he's won consecutive division championships. And he's got apparently a very good recruiting pedigree. So he's a guy that's coached under multiple, I mean, Dabo Sweeney and Nick Saban, and Todd Graham, I think, is a really good coach. Coached under uh, Jim McElwain, who's a very good coach. He's got a pedigree. He's got a background under multiple very good college football coaches, and he's currently winning. Yeah, 
I mean, I agree. Those are all three solid candidates. But then what's interesting to me is what happens if all three, like you're playing A, you're playing B, and you're playing C kind of end up going in different directions. Like how, how, how thorough is their list and how long does this thing go? Because I think the odds of them absolutely getting their first option are probably pretty slim. And so how thorough are they with this? And kind of, I don't, I don't know where this is going to end up. I think this is going to change. I think this is going to be kind of a long winding search. I say long, the early signing period is what, December 18th. I think they'll have a guy in by then and probably a week or two before then. But point being, I just think this is going to have a bunch of twists and turns to it. And I do wonder how thorough this will end up getting. And what's the interesting portion to me about coaching searches is uh, kind of people are very rarely do things kind of actually get kept under wraps. And so people are able to kind of loosely follow along with information that's kind of siphoned out there throughout the process. And what happens if this thing turned, if they strike out on a candidate or two, and this thing turns into Tennessee where you're a week and a half in, you've been told no three times, where are you going and what are you doing? It's a good question. Um, I think there's a strong enough candidate pool though, that would allow them to not have to panic. Right, because it, I think Mike Norvell's not happening. I don't have that sourced because, I mean, how could I? I just I don't think that's happening. I think he will get offered a bigger job. I don't think Lane Kiffin is happening because it sounds like he and Arkansas are further down the road to where the point or to where it's at the point where it's irrecoverable. But I mean, you still have Dave Clawson out there. You mentioned Drinkwitz, Billy Napier. I mean, you could go the coordinator route if you want to. Brian Harson. At Boise State, I know he's a Boise State guy, but SEC West Power 5 jobs are more attractive than Boise State. Sonny Dykes has done a good job at SMU. Uh, there are coaches. Willie Fritz, I know he's a little bit older. What about Butch Davis at Florida International done a good job? There, there are multiple guys out there that have a background of winning that will not be offered a job at the caliber of Ole Miss this year. And maybe some of these guys are patient. Maybe it won't be a fit. But And maybe I'm just blind to it. But when I, when I think about who Ole Miss could hire, even if you start crossing off names, you're still left behind a good group of names, people that would, first of all, and most importantly, because uh, it is all about money, college sports are completely all about money, would sell tickets, but also I think could win football games and have shown that they can win football games. I think Dave Clawson would could jump to Oxford tomorrow. He is at a ceiling at Wake Forest. Ole Miss can pay more. You can recruit better. And all you have to do if you're Dave Clawson is win at Ole Miss at the same level you're winning at Wake Forest. Get them six, seven, eight, sometimes nine wins a year. He hasn't done nine at Wake Forest yet, but six to eight games a year and look competent while doing it. That's all that has to be done to have a long career as the head coach at Ole Miss. He's doing that at a considerably more difficult job. I think he would run to Oxford. Because I don't think many people are going to offer him a job either. Because Florida State's going to shoot for the moon. Arkansas's already got Kiffin. Missouri's open. But there really aren't a whole lot of big jobs open this year. I think a guy like him is right for the taking. But maybe I'm just blind. Yeah, and I, it's interesting to me because a lot of times these schools overcomplicate this. A lot of times, that like I don't understand the the retread route where it doesn't work out with a guy somewhere and somewhere like if, if particularly a major program and then another major high major program hires him. Like in some ways, this doesn't seem that complicated, right? Like Bill Clark, Billy Napier, 
and Mike Norvell are all three proven head coaches that are win. Odds are, like your seems like your hit rate is higher than that of someone like a. I don't know. Mike Leach isn't the best example, but like to me, and a lot of times people overcomplicate it. Whereas, go look at you know who's winning right now, and it odds are it will likely translate in the sense that like yeah. particularly in the Drinkowitz kind of Bill Clark. Napier group of five category that hit rate to me seems much more successful than some kind of retread or bounce back that has been somewhere else in my opinion. That, and, and then that also a guy like Pete Golding. And I don't, I don't know if Pete Golding's a candidate or not. I don't suspect he would be after he basically ghosted Ole Miss last year. But I mean, the the Saban disciple route, if that like a high profile coordinator. You mentioned hit rate. I think that's a great uh, phrase to use when talking about head coaches. Because there are going to be some coordinators on this list. Um, his name's escaping me. The defensive coordinator at Clemson who just seemingly won't leave. What is his name? Venables. Brent, Brent Venables. Yeah. I mean, the hit rate on somebody like that, I think, is far less than if you got somebody who people would call uninspiring, and that's Bill Clark. I'm with you. There are candidates out there that have a background of winning that are doing it somewhere that would step in and do the same thing at Ole Miss. And, it's again, it's not like you need to win championships. All you need to do at Ole Miss is look competent and go to bowl games. That's all they're asking for, and a guy like Bill Clark would do that, I think, right away. Yeah, and see, what's interesting about that in the predicament Ole Miss falls, and you mentioned uninspiring versus hit rate, they're going to have to somehow thread the needle and hit both. Because they've got to find someone that's, one, going to win games, but someone who's going to sell tickets quickly. So, like, can they afford the uninspiring hire even if it works? Because it seems like they need to sell season tickets and they need to increase revenue right now as of, like, hey, yesterday. So, how do you thread that needle? Does Billy Napier fall in that quarter category? I think yes, for the most part. Would I think so. Norvell, obviously, 1,000% would. Yeah. Bill Clark, I, I doubt it. He's not as inspiring, but I think the hit rate would be high. And, and I'm telling you, man, I, you won't get like Hugh Freeze 2015 level like fan support and season ticket sales, basically no matter who you hire. But even a Bill Clark, you wouldn't get 35,000 people in the third quarter at a game against a ranked Pac-12 team. Like that won't happen if you hire Bill Clark. So I, I agree. Perfect, I agree. But would that, that have happened of anyone back. other than Matt Luke, in my no. opinion, like in your opinion, would that have happened no. with no. anyone in year two? Because technically it was Luke's year two, even though it ended up being counted as year three. Would that have happened to anyone other than him? I don't think so. Even Dave Doran, who's a wet blanket, that that wouldn't have happened. Yeah, I agree. I think it may eventually, if he didn't win and people saw it as uninspiring or whatever, I think it would. It happen. would have happened in twenty twenty. Today. Yeah, exactly. But like Luke, this was going to happen from the get go. Yep. He just wasn't getting people like he and it's not really like I said, again, it kind of sucks for him. And I, I, in some senses, like closest thing to empathizing with a millionaire I can. I, I do kind of feel bad in that sense where he was just so far behind the eight ball from an uninspiring standpoint. Again, he was never going to recover. But I do now. I, I think. That sense has kind of made it more imperative that Ole Miss does kind of find a guy that kind of lights a fire under the fan base that really is about as apathy. The apathy is is worse than I've ever seen it, and I've lived in this state my entire life. Like I don't, I, I can't remember ever a time where it was this bad because Houston Nutt it cratered so quickly 
there wasn't really time for apathy to build up that badly. And then Hugh Freeze brought them right back in immediately in his speech. Like people were in when he spoke in the uh, in the Ford Center and did that whole family thing and talked about the wilderness and all that. People were in that day. He didn't have to win a football game before. Not fully back, but people were locked in on that dude when he gave that speech. I mean, yeah, sure. Say what you want about Hugh Freeze, but the man can deliver a speech and get people fired up. Yeah. Righteous I mean, Gemstone, players man. love that, too. So do and th- that's the thing about this team meeting that's going on right now. I'm, I'm seeing all the dissatisfied players pop up on Twitter about how you know, this place is all about money, one of them said, and, and the players that are upset. The thing about good college football coaches is they're also very good salesmen. And I just keep throwing out this name because his autograph is literally above my head. Um, Billy Napier would step in right away and sell himself to the entire football team, and they'd be all in good to go. Yep, I agree. And, like, as far as the – I think a lot is going to be made of the whole uh, players unhappy, players walking out. I think that would have happened anywhere because, I mean, not a perfect example – but you look at Kermit Davis when he was hired. You thought that the the attrition roster attrition was going to be widespread. And granted, he dealt with his fair share of attrition. But Terrence Davis didn't go pro. Brian Tyree stayed. Devontae Shuler stayed. Um, I mean, yeah, name because it. Kermit Davis stepped right in and he gave a speech. And he he's obviously a very good basketball coach. And they gave him a shot. And look what happened. I mean, right. Chad Forrest had a look and saw buy in right away. Right. And some of that's hollow, but you do have to have charisma. Like, you can't have a, uh, I mean, this isn't the best example, but a Greg Schiano type who comes in from day one is kind of like, hey, we're going to do this, you know, a, an abrasive personality, I guess. But again, I, that's, I guess, what first impression, does anyone really come off as abrasive? I don't know. Maybe too, late 2000s Ed Orgeron. But, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting because that'll be half the battle. Because I guess this is the side, this is a good transition Whoever comes in here is going to have some very intriguing pieces to work with. I mean, I think they step into a pretty good situation. Not perfect. I mean, the schedule is so tough at the start of next year. But uh, depending on the depending on what the quarterback situation looks like, I mean, uh, well, here's a question: Does Matt Corral stay? Man, <laughs> ask me that in like nine hours. Here's another thing. If Matt Corral does leave, whatever coach steps in, I mean, what, what, who's to say he's not going to take advantage of the transfer portal? Hey, you know, so, I mean, that's way down the road. That's, that's probably a dumb question because there's no answer to it. But, I mean, Ole Miss has a couple of very talented running backs. It will return an experienced offensive line. They're going to lose some receivers, but there's some alleged talent there. A defense that will mostly come back. They played a bunch of young dudes in the secondary. Jack West Jones uh, put something on Twitter. Let me see if I can find it again. Something like, oh, here it is. No matter what happens, I chose Ole Miss's home. Let's get back to work. So he's obviously in a good mental state. You'll get Sunogo back. You've got Sam Williams back. I mean, there's some pieces that, I mean, in year one, you can compete for a bowl game. And if you somehow find a way to get to six in year one, then everybody's all back in. 100%. The apathy problem is solved just winning six football games next year. And if Matt Luke wins in the 
the whole point we've been hammering for the last hour. If Matt Luke wins six football games next year, everybody feels like they're in purgatory. Yep. And with, with, with the starters, you mentioned you've got some interesting pieces coming back. There's definitely the talent pool is in a better place than really who like anyone who've taken over in 2017 like would have gotten it. Now, granted, there was a lot more, some more offensive talent at skill positions and a better offensive line on the you know in 17, but they were so bad defensively. Overall, I think the talent pool is much better than it was in 17. But the two biggest things I think they're facing is one, kind of trying to minim- minimize some of the roster attrition, and then the biggest thing that we kind of buried the lead here: what are you doing at quarterback, and where are you going? Because you have a guy in Plumlee with a very interesting and unique skill set that's probably not going to fit every scheme, even though as we kind of keep seeing the modern-day prototype quarterback is really just whatever the prototype is for that system as opposed to just a prototype quarterback in general. And then Matt Corral, who, while is not very refined at times, has a lot of arm talent. Or are you going to bring in your own guy? Because like that is very much going to solidify the identity of this team more so than anywhere else, is where this new head coach, whoever he is, comes in at quarterback in which direction he goes. I mean, is there is there a quarter uh, a coach out there that you would run an offense through plumbling with? I mean, Willie Fritz kind of does it at Tulane, or did do it, but they still rely on the pass. I, I don't know. I, that's an interesting question. I just, uh, I, I'm very curious as to how a coach somewhere else would view the quarterback room at Ole Miss right now. Yeah, if Grant Dale was still on the roster, it would look a lot more attractive, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree, too. And I don't think, like, how much can that factor into your search? I don't think hardly at all. I don't think you can go in it with that attitude because you, depending on who you hire, you don't know if any of them are going to be here. But it is an interesting question. Look at How much do you think that factors into the search? Very it, should. it should not at all. Yeah, I don't think you can go that route either. The search should be, and there's no reason to, if Keith Carter's given full autonomy, there's no reason to think it won't go this way. But it should go, simply put, will this guy win football games at my school? Not how will he win football games, just will he win football games, period. Done. And this was about the window. I know we're kind of bouncing around here, but again. As we should. Yeah, there are no rules on this podcast. This is this is this is like nom. You can do whatever you want. But uh, what was interesting is is they're going to have to hustle right now. Like it was interesting because like they had to, if they were going to do this, this had to be done in the next twenty four to forty eight hours because you've got Missouri and Arkansas already kind of working on their coaching search. You've got the early signing period in eighteen days. It's December one. Like if you wait till December six seventh, you're really kind of in a, in a up. I mean, you're kind of really up up shit creek without a paddle like you 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 would have been so this had to be done right now and you know it was surprising you know it ruined my sunday of drinking beer and eating wings and watching football but i think they they got the timing of it right i mean i know that sounds obvious but if you had had more infighting amongst money people and this is made even five six days later you're talking about an entirely different kind of landscape as far as what direction you want to go and how quickly you have to do it 
If I told you they had a candidate hired by Friday of this week, what would your reaction be? I'd be pretty surprised. And I would think that they already uh, – I would, I would give props to Keith Carter because that means he had the groundwork on this puppy going long before they announced this thing tonight. If Don't you've you already think got he a guy would have, though? I mean, he seems like a smart guy, right? I mean, if you're going to make this decision, don't you have to be somewhere down the road before you pull the trigger? Uh, yes, yes. But at the same time, like I'm talking about, if you have a guy d- done by this Friday, you have already put out, you had already put out feelers a week or two ago in advance and started talking to people and the reason I kind of hesitate to kind of buy into that is because there generally didn't seem to be any buzz about this gig at all until literally three hours ago. And so Matt, while maybe what you're talking about, he had like kind of maybe some ideas in mind. I don't think any serious feelers were put out to people. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know this to be a hundred percent true. If yeah, if you've got a guy in in five days, you had some serious groundwork already laid. I mean, that's some like Jimbo Fisher to A&M type stuff. So, I don't know. I would be shocked. Now, you told me a week from – if you told me like a week from – A week from Monday, a week from tomorrow, seven days from when everybody's listening to this. Still too early? I'd still be a little bit surprised but not completely stunned. But I think the – got to find a guy before a, the early signing period, don't you? Yeah, 100%. Now, if you told me a week from next Friday, which a week from next Friday is what? A week from uh, this Friday or next Friday? This Friday, excuse me. A week from this Friday. The 13th. That seems like the sweet spot, end of that week. Buddy, we've got content for days. Yeah, that's another thing about this is, hey, Dad's texting me, and like in the middle afternoon, I was like, I don't think this is going to happen. I was still a little skeptical, which, I mean, again, this thing was so fluid that it, 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 it really took a turn in about an hour and a half. But point being, I didn't think I'd be the one walking out of Davis Wade having to write about a coaching search. I would have put my money on Hey Dad. <laughs> I, I, that's just the wild part to me about this. And what's interesting is you talk about the like if you want to hit on the two schools thing for a second. Like they like you can't tell me that Moorhead beating State didn't and beating Ole Miss didn't save his job, and you can't tell me Matt Luke losing to State didn't really work to his detriment and him losing his. I mean, you, they talk about it just being Elijah one game Moore and it's not faking just one a game. pee like a dog, saved one coach and fired another. Pretty much. I mean, that's a simplistic way to put it. And obviously, there's way more factors at place. But like Nick Fitzgerald broke an ankle, spawned a job, and you know Elijah Moore peed one out. Man, and I understand why both things happen because I don't know if, if Mississippi State can fire a coach who goes eight and four and six and six and beats Ole Miss twice. I don't know if you can do that, even though it doesn't feel like a fit. And even after the game, some of the things he said were, were just not good about um, all I need is the team in this room and anybody that doesn't believe me can go kick rocks, that kind of stuff. A little just, self-awareness. Yeah, it just does not endear himself to the fan base there at all i mean he even talked about how last year's team wasn't as good as everybody thought it should have been and just that kind of stuff is just bizarre he does not feel like a fit there but it still is would be really difficult for mississippi state to make that kind of a change but 
They kept him simply because of the outcome of the Egg Bowl. If he would have lost that game, they would have fired him. There's no doubt in my mind, nobody can convince me otherwise. If he loses that game, they fire him. Now that he won, they keep him. Similar kind of thing with Ole Miss, because if Matt Luke wins that game, they probably don't have the pressure to fire him. And even though I think this is the right move ultimately, both Ole Miss and Mississippi State need to stop making long-term decisions on their program based on the outcome of one game. Because I know the Egg Bowl is important, and I know that I'm just from South Carolina, so I don't know what it's like, or at least that's what I've been told, even though I've lived in the state for a decade. If Ole Miss and Mississippi State want to actually be relevant and competitive, they'll stop giving a damn about the Egg Bowl and making hires based on the outcome or fires based on the outcome of the Egg Bowl. And even though I think this is the right decision, the emphasis that comes with this game I think is dumb, especially when the program that you just beat is 4-8, and eight, and that's what solidifies you keeping your coach. If you want him gone, let him go, because beating a 4-8 and eight Ole Miss should not keep your job. Yeah, it's but it's like it's this game it, it brings out. I don't necessarily disagree with you, but it's like the game brings out it it empowers people to make irrational and emotional decisions that maybe aren't necessarily about the result of the game itself. Yeah. Like I don't think in any world where it was like, "Oh, Joe Moorhead won 21-20 because Luke Logan has snakes in his head. Keep him." Like oh, we don't want your checks for the buyout. To whereas I don't think it was, hey, Matt Luke beat State 31-28, handing the permanent gig. It's just the emotional reaction and high and low that people get off of it drive emotional and irrational decisions. So it's almost like not the, I mean, it is the result, but at the same time, it's not. It's just like the emotional wave people get out of that. Like that that game triggers more irrational emotion than any game in, in, the, in sports, period, I would say. College, pro, whatever. It shouldn't be that way, though. No, but I mean, here <laughs> but we it are. Is. But I mean, it Matt is. Luke's Matt Luke's last game was at the very place that got him hired. He's standing on the same sideline in 2017. DK Metcalf in his dog pee and all that. That game got him hired, and then this one got him fired just two years later. Live by the pee, die by the pee. Yeah, I mean, it's just. It's crazy. I, I just said I, I didn't anticipate this happening this week. I didn't anticipate this happening this year. Um, I thought this was something we'd be talking about, to be completely honest, in late October of 2020 when either the move was already made or the writing was very much on the wall. Because you would have known seven weeks into last into next the 2020 season this is happening. I'm surprised it happened. But, you know, I, my biggest takeaways from this are, one, the Egg Bowl did him no favors. Two, Keith Carter is quickly developing a track record to be able to make tough decisions um, and I don't think it's as simple as, hey, he's just listening to people angry. I, I think he this shows another example of him being able to make tough decisions. And two, and I guess three, I can't count tonight. This is really going to show if this new school leadership and the new face of this university is actually going to get stuff done or they're basically just going to be dictated by the amount of people grabbing grabbing and you know kind of battling for power like if they run this search cleanly and it's a sound search and they end up on a qualified candidate then i think that speaks volumes to the way matt the way keith carter is going to do his job and him being allowed to do his job to whereas if you get more politics and you end up with 
I don't even know what would be a good example at this point, but like Chad Morris would have been a good example at 17. If Chad Morris is the Ole Miss head coach in 2017, you can point at about one or two people and know why he's there. So if you end up as one of those candidates as a per- preferred to actual landing on a justifiable candidate, I think this is going to be very telling for the next decade, half decade of the like, kind of leadership of the school. Yeah. And here we are two years later talking about another coaching search. Yeah. So, I don't know. You got any final thoughts on this thing? This is going to be the Monday podcast. Obviously, you know, normally on the Monday show, we kind of wrap up like what happened over the weekend. Obviously, it was a little different than Thursday game. Talk some NFL, talk some whatever, and then it's done with. But, like, hell of an intro, I guess. Yeah, you know, if I had to start one day, this this would be the day to, to do it. <laughs> Good Lord. What a, what a Sunday. Um but yeah, final thoughts. If not, I think we just about covered it. It was a solid yeah, hour. It's, it's um, yeah, I think it's the right move, and uh, I think um, as you just mentioned, um, it's a really positive thing for Keith Carter because it's about time that somebody at Ole Miss starts acting like a big time college athletic program. I mean, for perspective, Ole Miss's athletic budget is bigger than Clemson's. Yeah, Clemson the team winning national championships in football has a smaller athletic budget than Ole Miss. It's just about time that somebody there starts treating it like it's a big-time college athletic program. Now you got to go get the higher right, but making this move today was what programs that take themselves seriously do. So see if it works. But it's one part. You got to get the second part right. You can't mm-hmm. have the coaching search be operated like a bomb and pop deal. I mean, it's. I mean, this is. This sounds like a dumb. Uh, this is a wild comparison, but stick with me. As someone that likes the NBA, you can't allow Ole Miss to be run like the Lakers. Like the Lakers need to realize they're a Lakers <laughs> brand and need to be run. They need to be run as such, and not some mom and pop thing where they have you know two, three random dudes that advise the owner making decisions. I'll uh, hear three, four random boosters. Like this needs to be kind of a sound operation, but. Yeah, and you don't know agree. how you do that. You stay out of the way and let Keith do it. And then hire the person that Keith says to hire without asking a single question and be done with it. That's how you do it. No committees, none of that other bullshit that they've done for the last three major searches. Let Keith do it. Don't let anybody talk about it. And then hire the guy that Keith says to hire and be done with it. That's how you do that. I agree. Um, and then so press conference tomorrow at 11, Keith is holding one tomorrow at 11. We'll have coverage of all that stuff at supertalk.fm. Um, as I told you guys on Friday, like the only thing that changed here is the people, the person in the seat, like we'll continue our Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we'll do the mailbag Friday, all that jazz. Although this week it may be more pertinent to go again on Tuesday or something like that because we're going to have another press conference and there's a really huge basketball game this week with Butler all kinds of stuff going on so we may go Tuesday and Thursday instead of Wednesday Friday because it's such a strange week I don't know we'll discuss that and figure it out but you'll get three podcasts a week like normal Um, but unless you got anything else I'm going to go get out of here and make some more phone calls and uh, maybe sleep a little bit before we get this uh, press conference going tomorrow Whoa, I got to drop this in here real quick though this is from Bruce Feldman so who knows how real it is but um, it actually kind of makes sense because it's a former Ole Miss guy. But uh, he says, quote, former Ole Miss assistant Ryan Nielsen is one other name to remember, a protege of Ed Orgeron. Nielsen is in his third season as the New Orleans Saints defensive line coach 
where he's produced one of the NFL's fiercest pass rushing groups. That Ooh. doesn't. I mean, that is fascinating to me. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but it's interesting. Yeah, that's, I feel like, a name. And Bruce is obviously more well-connected than just about any other sport, but that's kind of a name. Uh, that's kind of a name that you kind of put. It seems like, on the surface, it seems like a name you put down on the list because there's a connection there, but I'm not necessarily discounting it. That would be fascinating. That is interesting. Well, and the Saints defensive line is also really good because they have really, really, really good players. NFL position coaches, yeah, I mean, people talk about them and the jobs that they do, but how difficult is it to coach Cam Jordan? It's a good point. Probably not very. I don't know, but that just got thrown out there. So and you'll get a lot of that, and a lot of it will be agents doing their clients a service. But uh, yeah. <laughs> I guess it'll be your job to try to navigate fact and fiction on that. Yep. So we've got, obviously, plenty to talk about on radio tomorrow. Come join us. Hang out with Borky and I and Richard and Haydad and the whole crew. Um, but uh, I guess it'd be, I'd be remiss not to mention podcast brought to you by LB's. Greg's big pick of the week. He said the Cincinnati Bengals were getting their first win. He went Bengals money line and they crushed it. So hope you took Greg's picks. Greg the Meat Sharp, uh, but LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Go get some meat as you search your uh, read through your head coach hug hot boards. They've got uh, plate lunches, daily specials, all kinds of stuff. Um, go down, get a plate lunch, and then decide what you want for dinner. But it's grilling season, weather getting cooler. LB's Oxford, best place in Mississippi to get meat, no doubt. But anyway, I'm going to get out of here. We'll be back at it on Tuesday. For Michael Borky, I am Brian Scott Rippey. We appreciate you guys listening. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.